Welcome to Foundation and Family, the Erica Diaz Show, where real estate wisdom meets family life. I'm Erica Diaz, here to share stories, insights, and inspiration for building homes and nurturing hearts. Let's dive in together. Hey, everybody. I'm Erica Diaz with Foundation and Family, and today I am so excited to have our guest, Shane Bergman. He is a Space Coast realtor who is killing it over there and on social media. Mm -hmm. So... Tell me a little bit about yourself, Shane. Well, Erica, uh, first time in Winter Garden. We talked about that today. And I'm only I in... can't believe he's never <laughs> been here. Seriously? I mean, I'm, I'm an hour and 15 minutes away. It's, it's, a, it's a commute. It's a little bit of a drive. A little bit. Um, but yeah, so I'm going on nine years in real estate coming okay. up in March. Um, for the last seven years, I've been a part of a team. It's the number one producing team on the Space Coast. So it's my marketplace there. For those of you that don't know that area, it's where... Cape Canaveral is super Kennedy County. Space Kennedy Center. Space Center. It's like we're fucking making history yep. uh, several times throughout the week. So we're, we're launching rockets to space. I love it. Uh, Patrick Air Force Base is there. So a lot of, lot of things happening. You but got a lot of mil military clientele coming in and out of there? Yeah. Patrick Air Force Base is one of the biggest um, Air Force bases in the country. And then uh, in Cape Canaveral. So the reason that I am there is because when I was active duty Navy, Oh. I was stationed at Thanks Cape for Canaveral. your service. I didn't oh. know that. Yeah. So Thanks. 10 years. So before real estate, 10 years in the military, specifically nuclear submarines. And I was specifically wow. a nuclear missile technician. Wow. Um, but my last duty station was at Cape Canaveral. And that ah. is how I ended up on the Space Coast. And when I moved there and separated from the military, I stayed and pursued real estate. And I've been doing that. So where are you from originally then? Tucson, Arizona. Oh, I like Arizona too, actually. Yeah. Did yeah. you live there? Or were you? No, we just spent a lot of time out there mm -hmm. as we journeyed through our adoption process. So yeah. um, we've spent a couple months out there, yeah. but not in Tucson. We were in Flagstaff. So it was pretty- An hour away. Yeah, yeah. pretty elevated though. Yeah. And you still got snow. Yeah, which, White Mountains. Yeah. So that was kind of cool. Um, okay. So yeah. you've been in real estate nine years. Mm -hmm. When did you explode on social media? Well, I don't know. Definition of explode. So, I mean, it's been a long kind of churn on that one. Um, Context-wise, maybe three years ago okay. was a was kind of an epiphany moment for me because it's like I looked at my account and I think we were at maybe a thousand followers, and then I was kind of blown away. I was like, man, I have a thousand people that are like related to me or my good friends. I was like, I'm gonna run out of of people eventually. And then Jason Pantana, Tom Ferry's coach, like we you know, had a conversation and he was like, people that follow you might not be related to you or your friend. They might just follow you because they're interested in the type of content that you're right. producing. And call me an idiot, but I had like this epiphany. I was like, holy shit, he's right. There are people that don't know me that still might follow me because they might be interested in the things I do. Right. So for me, that kind of like turned a gear in my mind where I was like, oh, so I can make content that would attract people and they would just appreciate what I bring to the table. So it's been like three years of that happening, and and now we're kind of in a really good groove. Um, this year we should hit around ten thousand on the following count, which for me, like I, I think that's that's awesome. It's huge. Yeah. It's great. Um, but and that's organic followers that yeah. you are growing, right? One hundred percent. Yeah, and there are accounts that you can tell when people buy right. followers. Can. Just look at their engagement. Right. Um, and I think earlier one of the comments made was like, even though my following. You know, in context of other agents, there's agents that have 70, you know, thousand followers, millions, whatever it is. But I love the fact of the amount of engagement I have right. with my following. Um, so that's something I'm really proud of. Well, I think that's a telltale sign because we were even talking about it here in the office the other day. Another group, and we won't say that they were an agent specifically, mm -hmm. but they had 64,000 followers. But their engagement was like two. 
Yeah. Yeah. Three. So it doesn't feel authentic in that regard, right? So mm-hmm. is that even beneficial to what you're doing or what you're trying to create? Well, that's the whole problem, I think, with social media is people do that because it's vanity. They, wa- right. they want to have this big account where they have this massive following and they pay for it. Right. But then the easiest way for someone to, to read into this is, is what you did. Look yeah. at the amount of followers versus like engagement. Is it likes, comments? If it's dismal like that, right. it's pretty evident that they, buy, they bought those followers because they have this vanity where they want to have that clout. Right. And vanity doesn't always translate to income. And I don't know about you, but I am working because I need income. Yeah. So I'm not a not for profit today. One day, one One day day. I will be. But today I am very much for profit. And if it's not converting into profit, what's the point of the vanity? Yeah. Why spend the time on it? You know, I absolutely agree. So are you seeing an overwhelming conversion from your social media presence into your real estate business? Not an overwhelming. It's actually the minority amount of my production. So I would say the majority of production comes from Sphere, which most agents, that should be their majority of production. Um, And then from that, it would be brokerage, you know, referrals. And then, you know, third, fourth on the list is where it comes to social media. So between 10 and 15% of my annual production um, is derived from social media. And when I say social media, I am combining Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And then yeah. recently YouTube has been probably our most profitable uh, revenue stream from from a social media presence. Instagram is good, but it's not like that. I'm going to have a conversation with a buyer and they're going to be like, hey, I, I just happened to be seeing your account and I want you to be you know, show agent. me some property. It, it yeah. doesn't work like that. It's normally right. a, a couple lines of communication where it might be someone that they knew and then they sent them one of your videos and then that connection is made where YouTube is but way different. It does create a brand awareness yeah. and it makes people feel comfortable, I think, with who you are. So they kind of get to know you before they get to know you, before they pound the pavement. Because one thing I've learned in this business is not everybody fits everybody's style. No. So there's been many people that have come to work with me or work with me, we'll say, and it wasn't a good fit, but For you sure. could tell right out the gate and we want to be good fits because we want to have a successful transaction. So yeah. one thing that I wanted to bring Shane on to talk about was all the NAR stuff, all the buzzwords that you keep hearing and the lawsuit and the appeal. So Tell me your position on this and how you feel about it. Well, there's a lot to it. And for context, for, for those of you that aren't really aware of what's happening right now, there's um, the, the lawsuits that are being talked about now have been happening since 2019. So, Correct. So, so like for context, you should be aware of that. Correct. Um, the, the big thing that's happening right now, and I'll kind of boil it down, is there are sellers, uh, and it all deri- it started in the state of Missouri, that... Um, essentially sued uh, major brokerages and saying that they shouldn't have paid for buyer broker commission. That's the way it's been done, you know, for a long time. Doesn't mean it's the right way, but that's kind of like the overarching issue of what's happening. There's a lot of noise in between that, you know, between the DOJ uh, attacking NAR and then now there's an appeal process that we'll see unraveling in somewhere in 2024. Uh, major brokerage names have been called out in these copycat lawsuits is what you're seeing a lot of. And that just means it's a replicated lawsuit of the original one that started. So my overall opinion on it is... And it's probably an unpopular one, but I kind of agree with the direction that the the lawsuit started. Because what it's saying is the seller should not have to pay for the buyer. And essentially, we're the only industry where the seller pays for the buyer's commission. Okay. Right. Well, and, and, you know, I, I, I disagree with you. Yeah. But we can agree to disagree. For sure. Because for me, and I, I want you to you know expand on that, but 
in the marketplace where we've got inflation and so many other factors, some of these buyers are never going to be able to afford the real estate commission, the down payment and the closing costs. So ultimately it all comes off the price. If it stands to reason in my brain that if the buyer is going to be absorbing that commission and the seller is not paying it, well, then the price would then be a little bit lower because it wouldn't be the same value in my opinion. Which is a easy outcome, right? And that makes a lot of sense. If the if the seller is saving, we'll call it three percent to use rounded numbers right off the bat. Right. Where are they going to save that money? It's going to be on the price of the home, correct? More than likely. What I see happening is, in the event that this does happen, where where across the board, um, buyers pay for buyer representation, sellers pay for seller representation, and then home prices are not affected. What you said is true. There are buyers in this market that would not be able to afford representation. And this is where I think it gets really interesting and the outcomes can be even more interesting because now at this point you have buyers, agents that are penetrating the real estate market and there's going to be a large scale of price points, what they pay for their charge for their services. You have buyers that are going to pay the bare minimum for it. Right. And you have buyers that are going to pay the 3% or whatever the maximum is at that time being. Um, and I, I see a, a version of that happening where there's going to be choices for buyers to choose as far as price points for the representation and is the way that they pay for it. That's another interesting point because do they embed it in the mortgage? Is it literally a, a check that's traded at closing? Is it a second loan that goes on the home? I mean, there's all these different outcomes of how they pay for it, but I do professionally think that that is where real estate is heading and it's just a matter of time. I don't think it's if, I think it's when. So if it does head in that direction and let's say the buyer can't afford representation, now they're unrepresented, that seems to leave us in a limbo space that could be very dangerous because sure. back in real estate school and you're 10 years in, I'm 10 years in, um, buyer beware. Like that was a common, you know, slogan, buyer beware. And if you don't have anyone directing you, that could be very messy. Even back in 2020, when buyers were waiving their right to inspections, waiving the right to appraisals, they didn't fully understand it, in my opinion, because six months later, they came back and said, oh, the pool pump doesn't work. I yeah. want to sue the seller. Well, well, listen, Mr. Seller didn't know six months out the pool pump wasn't going to work, but you did waive that right. So if we do see a lot of people journeying through that, it could be problematic across the board. Oh, it'll absolutely be problematic because they won't have representation, but it's no different than the dynamic we have now where have you ever sold a, a for sale by owner and represented the buyer? Yes. Yes, it's, I have. So it's the same, you know, situation just reversed where that seller might not have the knowledge of selling the home. So it's painful. So what do you do as the buyer's agent? I end up doing both sides for half the price. Correct. Yeah. But I feel like in that regard, it's a much smaller pool than what we could be transitioning to, which could bring forth so many challenges in the realm of homeownership. And we even talked about it on an earlier podcast. I mean, if you're in Turkey, which we're not in Turkey, but the interest rates are in the 40s. Yeah. So part of the American dream is that opportunity to own a house. And this this model that we currently operate on has allowed so many people to achieve that. Yeah, and I agree. And I'm not saying that I like the outcome. I'm right, just right. from a realistic approach and everything that I've read and researched and the, the, you know, the trajectory of where I see this right. going, that's just my, you know, opinion of where I think it's going to go. I don't think it's great for everyone. Right. I do think there are going to be more people that are, you know, affected specifically buyers because right. whether they can afford the correct representation or not, that's really what it's going to come down to. And then I think, uh, you know, overall sellers are going to be affected. Everyone's going to be affected by this until we can figure out right. what is the better way to, to, to do it. And I mean, it does, 
ring true to this day with anything you get what you pay for. Yeah, no, I mean that is at the end of the day every single service and everything. And yeah. in services, in products, and goods, and anything, you get what you pay for. Yeah. So it's really what you want to pay for, right? Yeah. Yeah. Any other key points that you think that that could really change the landscape of the real estate more so immediately than maybe two, three years down the road? I don't think there's any, I mean, we're not, this is going to be one of those things that's going to take some time for, yeah. for it to really unravel. Um, well, and like you said, it's been going on since 2019. Mm-hmm. It's just been very buzz crazy on the news and stuff like that in social media outlets more recently. So it has been going on for a while. I think I would not be surprised this year if we start seeing more cases of that. And and what's going to happen is you have a couple sellers out there that will realize that they can, they can only pay for a a listing agent and they can still put it on whatever platform it is to list it. Um, And then once that kind of starts happening, I think that will be the compound effect of where more sellers will jump in on this. And then that is when we're really going to see the potential outcomes of it, whether it's beneficial or not. It's going to be something like that where you have a couple sellers that jump into it and then it starts unraveling from there. Right. And then I just wonder what it'll be interesting to see. They jump into it. They list with no compensation to the buy side. Does the house get showed? Mm -hmm. Does it, you know, get offers or does it sit there in the system a little stale? Well, that was that was when I was going through you know, my, my research of all this and I keep up to speed with it, but that's, there's some really like c- components of this that would surprise you. So, um, the Tom Ferry podcast was actually called up on this whole trial. Um, and the podcast specifically was referencing about how to, um, negotiate commissions, right? So right. it's like, we've had those objections where listing agents, right. the seller says, I don't want to pay you 6%. I want to pay four and a half or 5%. Yeah. I don't expect you to role play with me, but we, we know how the conversation in our minds want, we want it to go. We want to you know, ascertain as much commission as we can. Right. So that was used against um, the, the trial to say, well, you guys are, f- you know, fixing commissions and here's some education that you're training all your agents about, as well as Gary Keller. Some of the scripts that they use at KW right. were leveraged against the whole trial where it's saying like, you guys are fixing commissions and this is how you're controlling it. And I think I and should, that's, but yeah. I think I should add really quick we are not allowed to not show properties based off of the compensation. So I want to be very clear that that is not what I said. I said for the general population, would it be shown or would it not? Because the agent standard in central Florida with 24,000 license running around here can be a little low. No. And and I think, you know, most agents would, would look at it like, yeah, we would never not want to say that we'll, show property because the right. compensation is lower. I mean, but there's data to show that that is false, that there are agents that do steer away from homes with lower commission. And, and another interesting point of the whole lawsuit was there was, um, I think it's called Rex and Rex mm-hmm. is a uh, limited is service brokerage that um, had 700 recordings of agent audio calling into Rex, inquiring about a listing and basically being disgruntled and angry and refusing to show that listing because of the offer of compensation. Right. So those those agents are out there, and I have to do say, like, we are in the service industry. We, we, right. we perform this service, and, and yeah, like, we want to get paid what we think we're worth. Right. So uh, is it right? No. But is it something that agents are, are going to do? Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. So I think it could be challenging, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Are you yeah. guys <laughs> exercising the buyer agency agreements at this point? Um, no. So we are familiar with them. We are looking at them, but it's one of those where, um, I personally have not implemented them. Into we haven't the, either. Yeah. So I know there are, there are agents that are because they're 
getting prepared for this. Right. Um, but it, to me, it's one of those things. It's just I have not incorporated it yet. Yeah. Well, it has been a model of our business that we weren't going to trap somebody and enforce them. Now, as things change, that may look different in the yeah. future. So I'm not saying that we still feel that way, but we have not decided to exercise those buyer broker agreements just yet. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, it's, it is a little kind of, I don't want to use the word uncomfortable, but you get to a point where it's like, we haven't practiced that version of real estate. Yeah. Um, and, and in our 10 year careers, we've never, we've no. never done it. So not here in Florida, no, Florida, New no. York, there's a couple States that, um, that don't, you right. know, I think I want to say it's like 90% of real estate in the United States, um, operates the way that Florida, Florida does, right. Where right. we, uh, the seller pays for buyer and seller brokerages. Well, and I sent a referral up a couple years ago up to like Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, right in the little trifecta yeah. there. And she followed up with, we, we require three and a half percent on the buy side. And it really, it was in the beginning of all of this coming out. And I was like, huh, Yeah. wait, you're, you're what? And so it took me for a loop. And then I ended up in the midst of that referring to an agent that operated more similarly the way we do. And they bought a house and all as well. But it kind of stuck with me. And I thought, we're going to circle back to that. And we're going to call mm -hmm. that agent or that broker and say, hey, let's talk about that a little bit more because you operate very differently. And I just want to know why. Yeah. And so they kind of explained it. And that was probably one of the first times I heard about it. And it was before the pandemic. And I was like, Oh, you think this thing is really coming? Oh, so I guess other people really did know about it before we did or before I did. Yeah, I mean, I think it's gonna be like a slow, slow process. Yeah. Um, but we talked about before the show how um, Seattle, Washington State, like they, they've been practicing real estate like this for years. Right. And for them to learn that Florida and New York and these other states, like we do not have buyer broker commission right. agreements like that, that to them is foreign. Right. So those are states that are already prepared. And, and that's another reason why I do think across the board, it'll be more practice like that. Cause we already have proven states that have operated like that for several years. Yeah. Um, I just think it's going to shake up the industry a little bit. And that's a whole, that's, I mean, it's a lot. There's a lot of things going on in real estate, but it may reduce the commission compression too. And the competitiveness when you are on that listing agreement saying, hey, we can do it for this price or this price, the commission would be reduced regardless because you're only paying one one side. Yeah. So it may reduce the commission compression, maybe. It could. Um, I, I just know now like the, the way that like when I go on listing appointments and I'm really, really careful about this because we know that the question is going to come up. It's, it could be the first question that I ask or the last one, but like how much do you charge? charge. What's the commission? Yeah. Um, every agent has a different way to answer this, but I've been very, very careful and cautious to make sure that I let them know what I charge yeah, and then what they can ch pay, charge the, the buyer or whatever they want to pay the buyer. Like that's how I structure it. I say, I personally charge three and a half percent to ascertain my services. Now what you pay is the buyer brokerage. That's yes, on you. you. I will, I can tell you what we're seeing in the market, but at the end of the day, commissions are negotiable. Like, so I have to outline that and let them know right. and be really, really clear about that and then let them choose that number. Right. And I think over time, we're going to see a more like intense version of that. Right. Where you might have a seller that, you know, says I'm paying zero. And then at that point is when we deal with it. Yeah. And I do think that can be challenging. Yeah. No, it's. But, you know, welcome to real estate. <laughs> what a great topic. Yeah. It's Thank so you. fun. You're so welcome. You're so welcome. <laughs> I'm glad you guys brought me on to talk about that. No problem. I mean, why would, why else would we bring you all the way from the coast, <sighs> but to talk about NAR yeah. lawsuit 2023 2024. Yeah. And full disclosure, I'm not an attorney, so I'm not trying to practice oh, any form of law over here. Just I'm just going to ride that wave. <laughs> I'm not giving any legal opinions. Yeah, I am not, not practicing law and I am not an attorney. Yeah. We're just so. paying attention to what's going on. I think yep. if you're not, you're, you're silly. 
Yeah. So tell me about the real estate market over by the Space Coast right now. What are you seeing over there? Did y'all see the same reduction in numbers that we saw in Central Florida? Because we experienced about a 20% market decline for um, 2023. Um, so yeah, sales were down. Inventory levels were down for, um, I would say, the first quarter of last year. And then we started seeing them increase. And so uh, since our markets are so much different too. So you have 24,000 agents here. We do. We hover between five and 6,000 in our county. I'd um, prefer that. Yeah, total population is probably somewhere at this point now around 650,000 to okay. 700. And then uh, normally what we see from a inventory standpoint, we use a baseline of around 3,300 to 3,500 active uh, single family homes on the market. Okay. Uh, we saw those numbers start happening. It was, I mean, I want to say right into the Q2 last year and have stabilized. And then sales started to kind of uh, trail off towards the end. And I want to also say that's when interest rates were apexed out. So they we saw were. that, which obviously that affects the market. Right. Um, but I did see a nice little surge going into quarter four of last year. Mm -hmm. And then that has continued into to January of this year. And I'm already yeah. kind of feeling the the pent-up demand and the pressure of, of my own personal business. And I do feel really confident about the way that the spring market is going to perform this year. Yeah, I would also agree with that. I think heading into 2024, as we saw some rates decrease by mm -hmm. nearly a full point, we had an influx of showings and listings on our actual, we had an influx of showings on our active listings, and then we had an influx of listings wanting to go live. And then we've had a bunch of buyer appointments this first week and then beginning last week, I know a couple of my agents were talking about, oh, we were showing houses on the first yeah, and it felt yep. good. Like <laughs> it was a great way to kick off the year. And some of them are coming out the gate pretty hot in the three to $5 million range, which is a niche market already. Yeah. So to get one of those at the front of the year, it's like, okay. That's a great gonna, way to pick up the momentum. Good. It's going to be good. Yeah. yeah. So what's your favorite thing about real estate? Um, I really like operational side of real estate. So like the sexy transaction, you know, the moving pieces of it, the, the contracts, the logistics. It's just... You like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't. No, I don't yeah. like the paperwork. I don't like... No, I don't like it. So you are still involved day to day in the contracts, in the listing paperwork, all of that stuff. Well, when I say that, I mean more about like the logistics, like the, the plug in the play of it. But as far as like writing a contract... I don't write a contract, so okay. I will delegate the, the writing sure. of the contract. But as far as like moving the pieces together and trying to figure out a process that works and is smooth and, and I can streamline that. And I'm, I'm like always concerned about efficiency. So overarching thing for me is efficiency. Right. So how do I incorporate that into real estate? And it's delegation, moving pieces process. Okay. So what's your favorite system that you guys work with right now? Um, so I, I guess it, from a tech piece, I think we talked earlier about the CRM. Yep. So follow-up boss, I think we're both we follow-up boss users I'm on follow that. Boss. Um, I love the systems that we have in there, everything from the prospecting style to the way that we, you know, incorporate our new leads that come into it and kind of how the flow of, of all of that works. Um, I also am really impressed with my team's kind of new lead, whether it's a buyer or seller, our process on that. And it's something I've talked a lot about on my, my social channels, but I think I'm unique in that aspect where... When a new lead is inbound on me, one of the first things I do with them is I send them a form. And I, and most agents are like really turned off, like you send them a, a what? So it's a form that I have saved on my keyboard shortcuts. Right. And it's a buyer-seller questionnaire, essentially all the same questions you would ask that person on the right. phone. I've just embedded it in a form. Um, so that, for me, I incorporated about two years ago. And, and I love it because it saves me 30 to 60 minutes of on a conversation phone. on the phone. Yeah, definitely. All the things they're looking for, whether it's a buyer or seller, I have... You know, it, it in my on email because it's on a form. Right there. 
And then at this point now I have so much aggregated data. I'm able to like look at where the leads are coming from, right. you, you know, cause there are questions on there. So how'd you hear about me? Right. And I want to know that. And I give them five options to choose from. Nice. So I'm able to look at all that. So from a process standpoint, that's something I, I really, really like. Yeah. How about you? Well, I think for us right now, we're building out Monday to yeah. a pretty high level. And that's just so that I can have a 360 view of what's going on in our events department or in our marketing department with social medias or in our transactions or maybe even with the CPA. Like, where are we at with paying the taxes for this quarter or what's our profit? You know, that's kind of my word heading into 2024 is profit. Um, what's my profit margin? What are we actually taking home because this is a lot of work like it's a lot of work and so at the end of the day this podcast is on foundation and family so I am about building wealth from generations to come and if I'm not putting profit first it's not really worth all the effort that goes into it so Monday at the moment allows us to have that kind of high level view where all the systems live because what I found as we journeyed through a couple hundred units a year was we were going into this tech or we were going into this yeah. tech or we were living in this tech or we're living in this tech. So it was all of these different things. And you can ask anyone that works for me, like passwords are not my jam. <laughs> like it's just not my jam. So like the same one for everything, I, but I do, but then this one needs an extra character or this one needs a capital or this one needs that. And then it's like, I, I can't even remember this. Like yeah. this is too much for me. So I'm sitting there trying to change passwords and I'm locking out all of the Everyone. staff. And then they're so mad at me because they're like, did you change the password? And I'm like, I, I, I didn't mean to. Yeah. I tried. Maybe I did. So Monday kind of allows for everything to be housed in there. And I'm pretty excited about it. We're probably three months into it. Um, and it's not where we want it to be, but I think it will get to where we want it to be. And then my follow-up boss lives through there. So yeah. everything kind of just sits in there. And so that's my new favorite toy for 2024 right yeah. now. Monday is a, an amazing project management tool. And there are, I'm so happy to hear that you use it because there are most brokers, most agents are a fucking disaster. Uh, yeah. And they're really unorganized. So for you to have that, I'm just, it just warms my heart. Warms your heart. Well, it warms mine too. Cause literally like by the end of the day, you know, I get done in here and then I go and I have the four kids and my husband and then everyone disperses and goes to bed. And then usually I'll be in bed and he'll be reading or podcasting or whatever. Yeah. And I'm sitting there on like Monday, like, how do I zap this? And they kind of make fun of me in the office. Cause my social media girl thought I was like making this up. I'm like, that can zap, that can zap. Exactly. And she was like, things don't just zap. And I'm like, it's called Zapier and it does zap. And yeah. she was like, wait, you're being serious about these zaps? Like all these zaps zap? I'm like, they zap. And she was like, but how? I'm like, I don't know. You it's tell magic. it to say this, to this, to mm -hmm. this, and then zap. And she was like, oh, I thought you were making this up the whole time. I'm like, no, I'm not making it up. So it does. Yeah. Everything zaps together. No, I mean, zap is, Zapier is involved in a lot of things. Yeah. There used to be an app called... Uh, if this, then that. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I mean, it sounds like Zapier. It is. It was yeah. before Zapier. Yeah. And it still exists, but Zapier just did a much better job marketing, and that's why they've taken over that space. Right. And because that's how, like, my IT guy was like, so you need to write if this, then that. And I'm like, oh, break this down for me one more time. What does that mean? So we're, we're working through it, but it's it's good. And But you still have to have, like, Zap. Yep. You still have to have all these different things to make it work. And really what we're trying to struggle with right now, and I think we're pretty close, is removing like Sprout Social or um, what's another Sprout Social? Is that like a where you would plan things out for it? Or? Uh -huh. okay. But I think Monday actually can handle all that and then you don't have to pay for Sprout Social um, so that you can just eliminate some systems and it just zap through yeah. Monday. 
So that's what we're actually working on this week. And I think we're about 50% there. So we've got a post scheduled for tomorrow. We'll see if it zaps or not. I feel like you're, um, you said your word of 2024 was uh, profit. profit. I feel like it should be zap. Okay, but maybe you can have like subwords. So yeah. zap and then profit. Profit zap. Yeah, yeah. If I'm like talking it. to my coach, it's definitely profit because yeah. he's going to ask. Yeah. Uh, and then profit zap. But everyone knows it's zap. And zap. I mean, hey, listen, it's good. So I told you my word, yeah. profit zap. zap. But what's your word for 2024? Dominate. Dominate. Yeah. Mm. So we did like this exercise that. with our team. Uh, so our business plan and then the front cover was okay. your 2024 word of the year. Um, dominate for me is the way that I view, you know, I'm a very competitive indi- individual. Most um, most of us are. Yeah. Maybe a little intense at times, but for most my mind are. to kind of get into it, my, my objective is to dominate where I live, which is Vieira, Florida. Okay. And I want to dominate that market. I so love that. Dominate is my, is my mantra for 2024. I love it. I mean, I love it. So, okay, dominate. And then let's talk about social media. Let's mm-hmm. bring it back to that. And are you talking about the NAR lawsuit on social media? Do you, do you, what's your future in social media and YouTube? Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. So I have not, I mean, this is the first time publicly that I've expressed any opinion on the lawsuit. Uh, before the show, we kind of talked about it a little bit. I just don't think people, that do talk about it, know enough about it to provide their opinion on that. And I, I think that they look like idiots when they do that. So without having like a, a more, you know, just more context to what's happening, right. people will just go and read a, a headline from Inman and pretend they're an expert on the subject. And I don't think that that does them any good. I read a I blog that's, that a consumer wrote and it was terrible. Yeah, I mean, terribly written, terrible perspective, not true. And just terrible. And I thought, my gosh, this is what people are reading and they're believing it. Because if it's on the internet, Shane, it's got to be true. It's true. No, it's absolutely it's true. true. 100%. And, and it's like the people that do talk about it, and I'll say agents, right? When an agent talks about it, I don't understand what their objective of talking about it is. Is it to stir up the community and get people's opinions because they know not everyone's going to agree with them, which that could work for mm-hmm. engagement. But is that something that you really want to put out into the world? And so anytime I post something or anytime that I'm thinking about putting a piece of content out, there's questions that I ask myself. You know, one of the first ones is like, what do I gain from this? Meaning okay. like, am I gaining any anything from it or am I going to actually lose some face on it? Right. Uh, and then I, I want to know who I'm making this for. Right. And then I figure out the audience and then I ask, are they actually going to get any value from it? Like, are they going to learn something that they didn't know before? Yep. And, and you know, it's like, if I can't answer those questions, then I don't do it. And so when I look at the NAR lawsuit, there's just a lot of it that I'm like, I don't, I don't know the audience that I'd be talking to because agents are aware of it. Right. What am I going to educate them on something and pretend to play attorney? Like I just don't understand why an agent would do that. So for me, that's why I've I've not talked about it um, until you asked me to. <laughs> Leave it to me. So I think one of the things that you just said, though, um, I do want to touch on because when we are creating content. My question always is, what's the value proposition there? What is the value prop? You hear that in our office mm-hmm. a lot. If there is no value proposition to the consumer or to the audience, it's useless. And it's a waste of resources and time and everything. So Yeah, and that's like social social media in its whole. And, and I look at yes. it, you know, it's like when I, whenever we finish up a video or even like we think about the idea of a video and I want to know like, am I going to laugh at this? And then it's like, okay, but would I share it? And if I'm like, eh. Probably not. Right. I'm like, eh, well, no one else is probably going to share. It's probably a turd. I don't want to put it out there. Um, you have coaches that are pushing, you know, it's numbers. It's, it's about the amount of posts you put out there. They shouldn't be quality. I severely disagree with that. 
Um, and actually, in fact, going in the really, it was quarter four of last year. My videographer Connor and I we talked to her, said we only want to put bangers on Instagram, and a banger is just a, a video that's like we know is going to crush, and people are going to love whether they laugh from it, learn something from it, or whatever. That's it. I mean. I told you that when I was out in Dallas, I saw one of your Instagram reels and I thought it was funny as hell. And I still remember it. And when you walked in, I was like, oh yeah, y'all were like jumping in the street and they were filming from up in the top of the conference. So, I mean, I think that was a banger. It was a banger. No, that video did 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 awesome. It was fun. I collaborated with some of my favorite agents and friends out there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was just just fun to do. And I still remember it. So, good job. Well, we have an excellent referral partner over at the Space Coast. So, if you ever need a referral partner out there, Shane's your guy. Now, where can they find you? What's some contact information? Go ahead and tell everybody, and then we'll include it in the link below. Yeah, so social channels are all going to be just my name, Shane Bergman. So, that's going to be for Facebook, Instagram, and then my YouTube uh, channel as well. Email Shane at the Bergman group.com to get a hold of me. It's easy. It's my first name. And then my last name is in my team. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And until next time, bye.